Welcome to Oaks Church, where we grow great lives and build big people. Thank you for checking out our podcast. We hope that you're encouraged by this life-changing message from Pastor Joel Scrivener. For more information, visit us online at oakschurch.com or follow us on social media at Oaks Church, Texas. Amen, amen. All right. Are you good? Good. We're going to jump right into this brand new message, Answering the Call. And I'm very excited about this message. I know it's going to be inspirational to you on a number of different levels. Um, have, you ever, have you ever screened your calls? H- have you ever looked at your, your caller ID and said, <laughs> no. <laughs> have, you, have, you ever seen, have you ever dodged a call from your boss? I know you would never dodge a call from your spouse. Teenagers would never dodge a call from their parents, right? I knew a guy that snuck out of his house and, and, and he had his phone in his pocket. And while he snuck out, his phone accidentally called his mom at three o'clock in the morning. And, 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 then, and then she called him back three o'clock in the morning and he, he couldn't dodge that call because he knew that she knew and that happens, right? Uh, we dodge calls sometimes. There are people out there that are what we would call a psychic vampire. Do you know what a psychic vampire is? It's someone that sucks the life out of you. They steal your will to live. Have you ever known someone like this? I have known people in my life that, that I see that and I should take it, but I know I can't take that call yet because if I take the call now, there's too much time between my next appointment. I can only take that person's call if I have 10 minutes before my next appointment. Because if not, it's a 45-minute phone call, and I just, I just can't do that right now. This week, I got busted. Um, screening calls. Uh, I, uh, I picked up my daughter from school. An old buddy of mine called me, and I'd missed his call before. He called me again, and, and uh, I saw it. And you know, you know, if you don't want them to know you're screening the call, you just let it ring and ring and ring and ring and ring, and then finally on its own go to voicemail. But if you don't want to hear the ring and you're in the middle of a podcast or a good song, you have to click the button and send it right to voicemail. And I don't know how they know, but they know. And, and he instantly texts me and says, come on, bro, quit screening your calls. I'm like, ah, busted. Absolutely busted on that one. But it's funny because we've all done it. We've all done this. We've had a call coming in and we didn't want to deal with it and we pushed it to voicemail. But, but what about when God calls? Oh, man. Do you know that God is calling you? God has called you, but he is calling you. And the sad reality is that oftentimes when we should be picking up, when we should be dialing in, oftentimes we send it to voicemail. Not right now. Have you ever had a feeling like God was trying to communicate to you in the middle of the night, like three o'clock in the morning, and you're like, can you come back at six? How about later, Jesus? Is God convenient to you? He doesn't seem to be convenient to me oftentimes. I will be in the busiest, most inopportune time, and then all of a sudden, God calls. And if we're not careful... We'll miss that call. God is calling you. Let me give you a couple verses here. Ephesians chapter four, verse four says, there is one body and one spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. First Peter two, 
21 says, For God called you to do good, even if it means suffering, just as Christ suffered for you. He's your example, and you must follow his steps. Each of us have an individual call of what we're supposed to do in our life. Your vocation may be tied into it. Your children are definitely tied. Your spouse, there are things that we are called to do. He's set for us things to do. If you missed our last couple series called Made for This and then Gifted, you're gonna wanna go back and look at that. We spent six or seven weeks diving deep into understanding your purpose and your personal calling and all of that is a great place to look into. But I wanna talk to you today about the calling of God on a daily basis that you can experience and whether or not you're tuned in and available for his call. I've had a number of friends of mine that have had different types of vocation where they have to be on call. One of my friends, uh, Trey, is a pilot. And there are times when Trey is on call and he has to stay in a certain area and he has to be available at any moment, Jennifer's mom, Diana, was a, a nurse and she's focused or specialized in ICU and cardiology. And there was a time where she literally, or times of the week, she would be on call and she had to be ready at any moment. One of our uh, young men in the church, uh, Anthony's a fireman. And when he's at the station, doesn't matter how good the spaghetti is that he's making. When the call comes in, dinner is over. Doesn't matter how good his hand is on the poker table. I don't know what firemen do when they're not doing the fire thing, but I, I would imagine they're playing poker and they're having fun and they're going down the slide pole. And I would, that's what I would be doing, right? Playing with all the equipment and, you know, but it's, it sounds like it'd be really, really fun and, until it's not really, really fun and you're running into a building, right? It's an amazing calling, but, but he has to be ready at any moment, did you know that you are on call? You're on call. Every day of your life, you're on call. At any moment, the Holy Spirit can call you. At any moment, the opportunity to change someone's life, even doing something very small, can be right before you. See, you have no idea how tiny a little thing could be. There was a time where we used to use this thing called phone tree. And we would record a voice call and send it out to like a thousand people all at once. And people would get a call and be like, hey, this is Pastor Joel. Come on down to blah, 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 whatever, whatever. And I would have people, I'm like, hey, man, good to see you. What are you doing here? And they'd say, you called me. You told me to come. I'm like, I wonder if they were like trying to talk to me and I just kept talking and hung up on them. I don't know. But I'll never forget the time that I did that and I sent out a little message and someone showed up at church that day. They came down to the front and they said, Joel, I was sitting on my bed. I was going to kill myself. I'd already planned it out. And the phone rang and it was you and you told me to come to church. Come on, how stupid, a stupid little pre-recorded, come to church, it's gonna be a good message, can save a life? Something trivial and silly to me and potentially irritating to you. <sighs> Joel, again, could save a life? 
See, you have no idea how the small things that you do or don't do can have an impact on someone in your life. You're on call. You're on call. Did you know there's no days off from Jesus? I know that sounds silly and fun and funny, but, but there are people that just, they want to go on vacation from their spiritual responsibilities. And I get it. I get it. I, I, when I answered the call to ministry, I didn't understand what all came with it. When, when I was a businessman, just in my 20s, and, and my buddies and I, man, Andy and Kevin, and man, we would, we would go out literally, and everywhere we went, we'd be on our way to dinner, and we would see somebody, and then we're like, let's go get him. And we're in our 20s, and we're over there, man, we're witnessing, and we're praying for people in, in public, and, and we're just, I mean, literally everything we did was ministry everywhere, everywhere. We're just business guys that love the Lord, and everywhere we went, we knew that we were there, and we were aware of the ministry opportunities. And, and then one of the dangers of moving into professional or vocational ministry is that your day off is your day off. And I don't want to do that today. It's Monday. Don't, don't go in the hospital on Monday. Don't have a tragedy on Monday. Because my phone's off. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way with Jesus. But I understand the pressure and I understand the feeling of getting weary and feeling like I just, I just can't do that. I just don't have it in me to do that. And that often comes in times where we've been doing so much, but maybe doing it in our own strength. There was a time when I was in youth ministry for 11 years, my favorite part of youth ministry was missions trips. And, and we would go to Nicaragua and we would work with orphans and widows and feed people and, and, and minister to people in the dumps. And it was an incredible experience. And then the last couple days of the trip, we would go to Costa Rica and we would spend a couple days on the beach in Costa Rica. And the, the, the work part was over. I mean, we're, we're working, man, we're working for, for seven or eight days. And then we get a couple days to just chill out at the beach. And I remember getting to the beach and we'd been, we're just exhausted and working. And I go and lay down on the beach and I'm, I'm ta- I just got some suntan. Look, we had just gotten there. And all of a sudden, someone comes up to me and says, are you the pastor? And I look up and it's one of the local surfer guys that, that taught lessons and whatever. Are you the pastor? I'm like, do I have a tattoo? Or, or is there is like something that, that says, pastor, call me. What? I don't know. He goes, I have a friend who needs Jesus. Okay. I get up and a couple of the kids come with me and he takes us to their little surf hut with all the surfboards and he, and he gets all of his surfer, but, and I'm talking, these are like the, the, the surfer dudes on the beach. These dudes are like just muscled up little Costa Rica dudes and all they did is surf all day long and whatever. And, and he's got these little guys and he goes, this is the pastor. All of you need Jesus and you're accepting Jesus today. He's <laughs> the head surfer dude. It's like a surf gang or something. I don't know. And so all of a sudden here, I'm on my day off. I just want to, I just want to, I got a surf lesson coming up. I want to relax. I don't want to, I don't want to work today. But next thing I know, I'm in a surf hut 
surrounded by all these surfers and all of them have their hands in the air and they're, and they're praying and they're receiving Jesus and, and they're getting filled with the Holy Spirit. And I look down and the, the surfer guy's two-year-old little boy is naked, just naked right there, hands in the air, little two-year-old. And I'm like, this is, I mean, amazing. <laughs> Doesn't happen at our church, but hey. Beach church, you can get away with that. <laughs> no days off from Jesus. We, we can get weary, guys. We can get really weary. And, and it's, it's not about being a vocational pastor. When, when you are full of the Holy Spirit, listen to me, when you're full of the Holy Spirit and people know it, you're the one they call when there's problems. You're the one they call when, when, when everything hits the fan. Because they know that you have the spirit of God and the answers of life inside of you. And the more connected you are to the voice of God, the more needy people are gonna be attracted to you. And your job is to steer them and turn them to him. But you can't clock out. And guys, this is honestly, I'm preaching to me. Because there's times that I want to clock out. There's times that I'm like, I, I, just, I just need a break. It's not easy for any of us, for all of us. So there's a story, I'm going to give you a couple stories in the Bible. There's a story where Jesus was, was hanging out with one of his favorite families. It was Lazarus, was his buddy. Mary and Martha were the two sisters. And, and, and Martha was working. Martha was in the kitchen. Man, she's making hummus. I'm telling you, man, when you go to Israel, it's like all you do is eat hummus five times a day. I, I, I will not eat hummus for two years after Israel, I promise you. I don't know what she's doing. She's making the matzo balls. She's in there cooking, man. And she's frustrated because her sister Mary is sitting listening to Jesus talk. She's at Jesus' feet. And Martha comes to Jesus and kind of gives Jesus a little piece of her mind. And says, Jesus, I'm in here working. I'm making your lunch alone. And Mary is sitting here at your feet. Make her come help me. And Jesus says, Martha, what you're doing is good. But Mary has found what is best. And it will not be taken from her. See, any of us can get into a place where we're doing, 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 doing the things of God. We're doing good and it gets weary. There are people that get weary of church. That, that, that's one of the reasons why we need more and more volunteers because there are people that get up at 5 a.m. to come and make sure all this can happen for you. And they, they can get weary and they need more help. But there are people that get weary because they've been mistreated. They, they get weary because, because people that are supposed to represent God don't do a very good job sometimes because they're human. If I haven't offended you yet, just stick around. It's a chance, could happen, a pretty really good chance because I'm a human. Please make the stage shorter. I don't want to fall very far. It's easy to get offended. It's easy to get weary 
But that's why the scripture says, don't grow weary in doing good for in due season you will reap a harvest if you do not faint or give up. The reason often that we get weary is we're doing things in our own strength and we're not doing them in his strength. This week I was reminded, Papa Larry, as we call him, sent sent out a little uh, devotional and I read a thought in it and it stuck with me. And later on in the week as I was developing my message, I actually had a completely different message planned for today that I was preparing and the Lord just did a whoop-de-doo and changed everything about what he wanted me to say and, and gave me a completely different message. And, and as I was praying, this thought came to me. And it was, a, it was a verse that came from the book of Nehemiah, chapter 8, uh, verse 10. And it's a story. I won't actually turn there for you, but it's a story where Nehemiah has just uh, rebuilt the walls of Israel. All of the people, 400, or I think it was like 42 or 43,000 people have now moved back to Israel for the first time. They're just now inhabiting it. They, they had just received their first offering and they were setting up the temple their, or their worship again, setting up the priesthood again. Everything was, every part of the, how the nation of Israel worked was being put back together and they finally got their priests up and they were reading the Bible to them for the very first time, reading the scriptures. And they read literally for like six hours, the people stood and heard the scriptures and they began to weep and they began to mourn because of how far they had fallen in captivity and how away from God they had become while they were in exile and captivity. And that's when the voice of the Lord spoke through the prophet through, through, and through the priest and told them not to mourn. This was a day of celebration. And then spoke this word, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength. And that's an interesting and a beautiful sentiment. But what does that really mean? The joy of the Lord is our strength. It means that when the father is joyful, his strength is released to us. It doesn't say my joy is my strength. It says his joy is my strength. So what makes the father joyful? First of all, the second he looks on your face, he's filled with joy. Did you know that? God loves you so much. In the midst of you doing wrong, he's overwhelmed with his love and his joy for you. Just the simple fact that you're his kid, he's full of joy for you. But what really excites him is when he sees you responding to the call and obeying him in little moments and fulfilling what he puts you on the planet to do. Jesus said it like this, he said, You are my friends. He said this to his disciples. You are my friends if you do what I say. (laughs) You ever had a friend like that? Conditional friendship? That's what Jesus offered. Ben, you can be my friend, but you gotta do what I say. But here's the perk. If you do what I say and you're my friend, you move from servant to friendship And a servant has no idea what's going on. He has no idea the background. He has no idea what's happening behind the scenes in the business because he's a servant. But, But when you become my friend, you have an inside scoop on everything that happens. And then Jesus goes on in John 15 to say, and you can ask me anything and I'll do it for you. 
because you're my friend. It's a whole new level. See, he's filled with joy just to see you. But when you move from a place of being servant to friend, it fills him with immeasurable joy because now you're fulfilling not only the purpose that he put you on the planet, but you're fulfilling the type of relationship that he wants to have with you. Listen to this. God doesn't want to have a relationship where he's bossing you around and and getting onto you and correcting. He wants to have a relationship where he sees you fulfilling what he's made you to do and you actually move into friendship with the creator of the universe. That's the opportunity for you. You have the opportunity to be friends with God. Guess what? You're not automatically his friend. Jesus said, you're only my friends if you obey. You can be in the family, but you're not a friend. See, I'll never forget, my, my dad, Ken Scrivener, uh, was, was a fantastic dad. He was a strong dad. He was a strict dad. And there was a time where my dad and I butted heads because we're like twins. And I'll never forget the time where I grew up and came into a new phase and, and, and my dad, instead of being the person that, that I feared and was going to get in trouble from, my dad became a person that I couldn't wait to hang out with, couldn't wait to talk to, because my dad and I moved into a friendship level in our, in our relationship. He's still my dad, but we have a friendship. It's different. Some of you understand the, 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 the difference, the shift that happens in adult life with your adult children and how you can move into a place where it's still your kid and it'll always be your kid, but it's a friend and so many, oftentimes a friend that inspires you because they're walking in what you're walking in and what you've designed and, and dreamt and prayed for them to walk in. You can be his friend. There's an amazing story of Jesus that really is the centerpiece of this message today. And it's the story where Jesus had been doing ministry and, and, and they were tired and it was actually lunchtime. And all the disciples, or at least most of the disciples, it couldn't have been all of them because somebody witnessed the story and wrote it down word for word and wrote down the conversation. But the disciples went to get lunch and Jesus went and he sat at the well. And he was just sitting there, just waiting, just watching people come in getting water. I'm sure he smiled at some folks. They were in Samaria. They weren't in uh, Jerusalem or one of the, the Jewish pro- or areas or cities. They were in Samaria. And so the Samaritans were there and there was a big controversy and conflict between Jews and Samaritans. Samaritans consequently were half breeds. Uh, so there was a racial disconnect between the Jews and the Samaritans because they were half Jewish. They had, inter- they had broken God's law and intermarried with the Canaanite people. And that was something that was against God's law. But besides that, they also intermixed their, uh, their worship and their religion with the Canaanite religions. So they were, they were doubly despicable to the Jews and there was a huge uh, rift between them. The Jews looked down on the Samaritans and the Samaritans resented the Jews for looking down on them because they were still all related on on a certain level. And it was just a mess. And Jesus is sitting there and a woman walks up and he, he initiates a conversation with this woman. You, You remember the story of the woman at the well. And he says to her, Hey, how about you give me some water? And she says, why are you even talking to me? You're a Jew. He says to her, if you knew who I was, 
If you knew the gift of God that I was, you'd ask me for a drink of water and you'd never thirst again, which is how I got Jennifer to marry me. That's what I said to her. Um, Just kidding. But this lady gets an attitude with Jesus. And basically, who do you think you are? You know, our, our, our father Jacob, you know, dug this well and this and that. And, all, and they go into this whole thing. And he reveals to this woman that he's the Messiah. And, and then he says to her, how about you go get your husband? And we'll finish our conversation. And she says, I don't have a husband. And Jesus says, I know. You've had five husbands. And the man you're living with now is not your husband. And she literally, in the King James Version, it says, she, she responds, I perceive that you are a prophet. That's what she says to Jesus, because he read her mail. She puts her faith in him, and then she goes and, and tells the whole city. And I'm going to pick up right here. This is John chapter 4, verse 27. It says, just then his disciples came back, and they were shocked to find Jesus talking to a woman. There's a whole lot in that just right there, right? The disciples come back, and they're like, He's talking to a girl. What is he doing? I mean, you can imagine some of the conversations. They're shocked that Jesus is talking to a woman. Now, obviously, she's good looking. Can we agree on that? Because she's had five husbands. That doesn't, that, you're either good looking or you're rich. Are we too, we're too holy for this? This is in the Bible. You don't get five and working, I got your sixth one on the closing table. You don't get six husbands convinced if you don't have something to offer, or anyway. (laughs) But none of them had the nerve to ask Jesus. So this is a weird, tense situation. What do you want to do with, what, what do you want with her? Or I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I got mixed up there. None of them had the nerve to ask, what do you want with her? Or why are you talking to her? The woman left the water jar beside the well and ran to the village telling everyone, come and see the man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? So the people came streaming from the village to see him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging Jesus, Rabbi, eat something. The disciples are still on lunch break. They're not into this ministry moment whatsoever. They've already been doing the ministry stuff. Now it's lunchtime. I'm clocked out. I'm not on call. I just want to have my lunch. Jesus, this is about to get real. The whole village is coming out. You better have some fish sticks or something. You're going to get tired. They're only thinking carnally. They're not thinking spiritually at all. And watch what Jesus says. I have a kind of food that you know nothing about. They're still confused. They said, did someone bring him food when we were gone? Disciples asked each other and Jesus explained, my nourishment or my food comes from doing the will of God who sent me and from finishing his work. Ladies and gentlemen, your food is to do the will of your father. Your food is to do his will. If you're running on empty, if you're weary, if you're tired, it may be that you've been clocking out, trying to handle things in your own strength and not realizing that your source of fuel, your source of strength actually comes from bringing joy to him. By answering the call. One of the times, and I'm embarrassed to say, another missions trip, 
Man, we're juggling kids. We would take, we would take 70 kids on a missions trip. You're literally, you're hurting cats. Uh, it, it is just chaos, right? And, and this one time we were in Hollywood, we, did, uh, we would do these trips and we would do street ministry trips in Hollywood and we're taking teenagers uh, down to, to um, uh, downtown Los Angeles and Skid Row. And I mean, you're, we're, t- we're dealing with really rough stuff and, and it was intense and it was hard. It was, it, was a, it was really an amazing time, but it's the last night and we're having a little party for the kids. And, and my buddy Mike and I would go for a walk because we heard about this yogurt place called Pinkberry. And, and, I, and I, am, I am only thinking, the only thing on my head is in my mind is I've got 30 minutes before I gotta get back. We got this youth service that's gonna happen. I gotta get ready to speak, whatever, whatever. And I just need some Froyo in my life right now. That's, that's the only thing I'm thinking about. And we're walking down Hollywood Boulevard. We hit Ivers. We, we, take, we take the turn. We're standing there waiting for the light to turn green. And there's a dude standing next to us. And Mike starts the conversation, says, hey, man, how you doing? And I'm not even paying attention. Guy says, oh, good, man, I'm good. Mike's like, what are you up to tonight? Guy says, I'm looking to buy some drugs. Light turns green, we start walking. I'm like, oh, here we go. Mike says, dude, man, I got something that'll get you so high, it'll blow your mind. Great, great witnessing line, right? Great. It's the most high, right? And the guy, dude, flips. He's like, what do you got, man? He's like getting his pockets. He starts like, kind of like, like tweaking a little bit. He's like, man, what, what, what do you got? Like he stops standing in the middle of the road and Mike goes, it's Jesus. And the guy's like, oh, man. And just, uh, he gets pissed, <laughs> upset. And uh, sorry, <laughs> telling the real story. May have said a choice word or two. And, and, and I'm like, okay, that was quick. And, and, and we just keep walking and Mike won't let it go. Mike is like, no, man, for real, this is whatever, whatever. And the guy's like irritated. And, and we, we hit the, you know, the sidewalk and we turn and the dude just happens to turn the same way we're going. And because Pinkberry's over here. So we keep walking and Mike keeps after the guy. And, and the guy is like, he's, he's getting weirded out and, and whatever. And, and finally I realized, you know what, maybe, because I, I only want yogurt now. You remember, I'm, I'm, I'm the one going, Mike, why are you so darn spiritual? Why do you have to go, why do you have to witness while we're going for yogurt? Can't we just get some yogurt? I want the toppings on it and everything. I want to have the full Pinkberry experience, but it didn't happen. This guy finally turns around and says, who are you guys? Because he thinks we're following him. And I said, dude, we're a couple pastors from Dallas. And he goes, well, what, what do you want? I said, dude, we just want to talk to you about Jesus. And this guy, like, he's looking all around. He goes, not, not here, not here. And, and he, we duck into the yogurt shop and we sit down at a table and Mike and I start talking to this guy about Jesus and, and, and he says he wants to receive Jesus, but when we go to pray, he cannot utter the name of Jesus. He gets like choked and blocked up and cannot say physically the name of Jesus. And that's when it got really weird. He literally transforms, and this is 100% true. I'm talking like Hollywood. This dude manifests a demon in the middle of Pinkberry, starts snarling, hissing, right? There's a line of people waiting to get yogurt, and we're sitting next to him, and Mike and I are now in a full-blown exorcism in a yogurt shop. I just want some yogurt, y'all. 
Didn't ask for all this. Mike and I literally tag team this dude, cast a demon out of a dude in a yogurt shop. He gets saved at the table, gets filled with the Holy Spirit at the table, hands in the air, the whole deal at the table. We go to get up to like walk him out. We have to like help him walk out. He's like just like, I'm talking snarling at us. You don't know what you're doing. Hundreds have tried this before. You'll never get me out. You don't know who I am. I'm talking a full blown demon, like threatening our lives, this whole deal. And this guy's a little Cuban dude. And, and, and so we get him out and, and we get him out of the, the, the restaurant and start walking down the street with him. And he gets a little, he gets a little step to him. He's like, oh, I feel good. I feel good, right? He's like, oh, you don't know what you did, man. You don't know what you did. I feel good. And he begins to tell us the story. Get this of him being 12 years old in Cuba, going to a satanic ritual with his grandfather who had him drink blood and invite this demon spirit to live inside of him. He went home that night and murdered his family in Cuba and had been on the run his whole life with this demon ruling him. And we're just going for yogurt. And I would have totally missed it if it wasn't for Mike, who stayed on call. It was one of the, I'm talking one of the most miraculous things. Within 30 minutes, this dude who had never read a Bible, had never been in a Christian church, was quoting scripture by memory out of nowhere. Like the Holy Spirit literally taught him, wrote the word inside of his heart. He's quoting scripture left and right. People walking past and he's like, hey, Juni Jesus, Juni Jesus in your life. And he literally, it was the most miraculous, I'm talking night and day thing I've ever seen in my life. And I would have completely missed it because I was clocked out. I'm glad I got to be a part of it. But Mike was way more spiritual. See, I wasn't tired after that. I had, I had a new fuel. I had food that I didn't know anything about. After having that type of an experience. I still never got Pinkberry to this day. <laughs> See, we have, to, we have to learn to stop the power leak in our life. The power leak happens when we, when we do life on our own. Listen, it, it, it really happens when we're focused on our own joy. When you're focused on your joy, you will always leak God's power. When you're focused on his joy, you will always be full of his strength. I'm gonna give you a couple real practical things and then I wanna pray. Number one, focus on his joy. Focus on God's joy, not yours. Number two, live on call. Don't clock out. Don't clock out. Guys, I'm, I'm preaching to you out of my journal. I'm preaching to you out of what the Lord is speaking to me. Don't clock out. Stay on duty. Stay on call. Doesn't matter what time it is. This is what the Lord is speaking. I always want to use you. I always want to flow through you. I always want to speak through you. That's a word to you. I'm not more special than anyone else. He wants to use you. He wants to flow through you. He wants to speak through you. He wants you to have experience with him. 
that you could never have except you say yes in a moment and let him move through you. Number three, obey the nudge. What does that mean? It's not an audible voice that you hear from God when he calls. It's, It's often just a gut feeling. I don't know what Mike heard. Ask this guy if he knows me. I don't know what he heard in his spirit. I don't know what the feeling was for him. But he was on call. The nudge could be just a feeling of, hey, write this little note and give it to this person. It could be a feeling of, hey, see that that couple over there? Buy their lunch. There's no telling... Listen, you can't expect to have these big thus saith the Lord moments where you're speaking for God if you can't do the little bitty things like just tell him I love you. If you're ever gonna do big things for God, it has to start with little things for God. I remember my early times learning how to recognize and obey this nudge. It was just these feelings of, hey, go give that person $10. Hey, go tell that person that you love them, that I love them. Hey, go, go tell that person uh, that you see greatness in them. It does, listen, it's only about obeying the nudge. It doesn't, well, and this is what happens, y'all. This is, this is why I say we, 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 push it to, we push it to voicemail. We say this, oh, that's just me. I'm just making that up. And instead of obeying God, we push it to voicemail. Well, what if I miss him? Well, let me tell you, you'll miss 100% of pitches you don't swing at. You'll miss 100% of opportunities you don't take. What if I miss it? What if you hit it? I made a decision a long time ago. I would rather try and fail than fail to try. I would rather step out and and at least give God a chance to use me than sit back and be a chicken and stand before him one day and have to face the fact that I lived my life in fear instead of in faith. We gotta answer the call. The last thing is work what you got. Well, I'm not like you. Yeah, and I'm not like you. I got a friend named Jeff who lives in Seattle now, but he grew up in Spokane, Washington. He was the biggest drug dealer in the entire city. He ran the entire drug business in his city. And then he got saved. And then he became one of the greatest pushers of Jesus you could ever imagine. And he was a pastor and he didn't have all the education, but he knew how to move product. And he found the greatest product of his life was was saving faith in Jesus Christ. And he sold Jesus on every corner. You gotta work what you got. See, this is the biggest thing. We, We disqualify ourselves from the call because we look at our past We look at our failures. Oftentimes we look at our present and our present failures and we disqualify us. We disqualify ourselves. When Jesus looked at that woman at the well, he didn't disqualify her. 
She was in the midst of her sin. And in one instant, she's the greatest evangelist that city had ever seen. In one instant, no preparation, no education, no background check. In fact, everyone in the town knew who she was for all the wrong reasons. She was a great saleswoman. She worked what she had. And the whole city came to faith in Jesus. Stop dodging the call. Because of some perceived limitation you have based on your present or past situation. Because Jesus can use you in an instant. In an instant. All you have to do is answer the call. Just answer the call. Father, I ask you in the name of Jesus that you would move on our hearts, that you would inspire us. Father, we repent for being so busy. We repent for running through life at such a fast pace, always having to be somewhere and not taking time to slow down and answer the call. Father, would you awaken our souls? Would you awaken our spirits to the reality that you are always, always looking for opportunities to use us? Father, would you help us to live on call for you and to be the ministers in this city that you've designed us to be? Father, we repent of our entitlements. We repent of, of our conveniences. for being about ourselves and focused on our own joys. Father, would you help us to focus on your joy? And as we do, would you release to us your strength? Would you release to us that, that food that we know not of that comes when we do the will of our Father? In Jesus' name. We hope this message has blessed your life. And if it has, we want to invite you to sow into what God is doing here at Oaks Church. It's as simple as going to oakschurch.com and clicking the Give button. On behalf of Oaks Church, thanks again for listening and have a great week.